last call for notes, digital notes. All right. We have a heavy sermon, and there's 14 pages, well, seven pages to get through. But sometimes when you come to Revelation, somebody comes and asks you a question, and you give them way too much answer, information. And so I have a meme that illustrates that. A little boy came up to his mom, and he said, Mom, where's who come from? And his mom took a deep breath and was like, man, I don't want to lie to the kid and tell him something fanciful. So she sits down and explains the whole digestive process and, and how that all takes place. And, and it took about three minutes, and the boy's got a real puzzled look on his face, and he says, then when do, where's Tiggle come from? Okay, you're supposed to laugh, but I saw smiles at least, but I have to decide whether or not I want to tell that tomorrow or not, but sometimes we just give information, right, that is important to the passage, right, or that distracts from the passage. This happens a lot in Revelation. We get caught up in details that aren't as important or aren't even critical to the message of the passage. He wanted to know where Winnie the Pooh came from, right? He didn't want to know where that other stuff came from. And then he was really perplexed because Tiggle, where'd Tiggle come from, poor guy, right? So today you have uh, seven pages of notes there that I'm going to try to get through. But I'm going to try to give you the core of the message and Revelation 13 is a call to endurance and faith, living in the light of the victory of Jesus. But Revelation 13 is about the enemy of God and the consummation of that chaos. And in that, we need to have faith and endurance. And faith and endurance are practiced by having the right perspective, not just in the big things, but in the mundane. If I don't have faith and endurance in the mundane, I won't have it in the big trials. So we must see Jesus' victory in the minutia, in the little things, the nitty-gritty. Jesus is victorious in the brushing of my teeth. Jesus is victorious in the fact that I was able to roll out of bed this morning Get up, take a breath. That was him working in my life. Because each moment, each day, each second is a gift from Jesus given to me and redeemed by the victory of the cross. So we must see Jesus' victory in the minutia. It is then that we have proper perspective on the whole of life's valleys and mountain tops. And yes, we have valleys and we have mountain tops. Li- sometimes life is like a roller coaster. Some of us are like this. That's how we function in life, right? Some of us function in life like this, right? Whether it be our emotions or our circumstances, each of us has a journey in which we walk. 
And when we walk on that journey of valleys and mountains, the valleys are the hardest to keep proper perspective. For they are caused by the chaos of the devil, his angels, and his children of wrath. Yet God, through Jesus, redeems everything, every valley. What the enemy meant for evil, God is using for all good. And so as we go through Revelation 13, the consummation of the Lord of chaos and, and his plan for the world, may we not be in fear, but may we understand that even what he means for evil, God is using for the saints' good. And Revelation 13 illustrates that reality. Romans 5, 1 through 5, reminds us of our purpose and our prop, uh, sorry, reminds us of our proper perspective of this life. And really our purpose, which is to glorify God. So Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. Faith. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. And that that power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is living and active in me. Hallelujah. Right? So through Jesus, we also have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. We stand in God's unmeritable, undeserved, empowering favor. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's going to glorify us. He's coming again in glory to set all things right. We rejoice in his glory. In the future, we rejoice in his glory now. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the perspective that we need to have in the minutia of life. That God is working in it all. And that he has imbued us and dwelled in us, made us his temple, his place of dwelling. He's poured out, not, not measured out, but poured out his spirit upon us and into us. So church, though Satan should buffet, through trial, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, and hath shed his own blood for our souls. Revelation 13 is the consummation of chaos in Scripture. 
Satan, the Lord of chaos, will be allowed to fulfill his plan of placing himself as God through his dominance over the world, causing all to worship him as an unholy trinity. He is a counterfeiter. And in this consummation of his chaos, he counterfeits the trinity and the mark, the seal of Yahweh. God, in his great wisdom, allows this to happen as part of his judgment of the world and the refinement of the saints. So as we go through this chapter on the consummation of chaos, let us not have a spirit of fear, for God is victorious, and in him we have victory, for we have the victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. He sought us, and he bought us with his redeeming love. So the Old Testament background for Revelation 13 is found in Job chapter 40, 15 through 24, 41, and also Daniel 7, especially in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, which is the translation John is using. He's walking from this one. So behemoth is from the earth, and Leviathan is from the sea. They are chaos symbols in the Old Testament and will be destroyed in the day of the Lord. Now, I know behemoth and Leviathan are most likely dinosaurs. I get that. I'm not defuting that. But they are also, they're both. They're dinosaurs and they're chaos symbols. If you have a big serpent, dragon thing, coming through the waters and tearing up uh, ships, that's pretty scary, right? Or you have this huge uh, dinosaur that you're trying to capture or whatever on the land, and he goes running through your village and flattens it, right? That's pretty scary. They are chaos symbols in the Old Testament. It doesn't make them not dinosaurs, okay? I, I think they are dinosaurs. But they're also chaos symbols in the Old Testament and will be destroyed. The chaos will be destroyed in the day of the Lord. The beast from the sea is a compilation compilation of all four beasts of Daniel 7. Good news, church, is the best news. These beasts are all destroyed. They're all cast into the lake of fire. Neither chaos nor the Lord of chaos reign. Jesus, Jesus on the cross by the resurrection is the redeemer of all things. And he's coming again to put the seal on that, to establish his kingdom forever and ever so that we can live with him on a new heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth. Church, the thought Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my sake. Revelation 13.1. Now we're there. We're at the beginning. We just got to all that prep. And I saw the beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Heads. So the futurists, 
interprets the beast as a revived Roman Empire led by the Antichrist. The Preterist interprets the beast as the Roman Empire with Nero as the Antichrist. The Idealist interprets the beast as a confirmation of chaos and that, that has been acting since creation, in creation since the fall of spiritual beings of whom Satan takes center stage in which humanity is participating. Remember, Eve ate the apple. Remember that? Remember, women laid with angels. Remember, remember, Adam was dumb and said, sure, I'll have some apple too. Remember, remember, Noah preached repentance for many years, 120 years. And nobody repented except for him and his family. We've participated. Right? Remember the Tower of Babel? <laughs> we, we participated. What is the significance of the beast rising out of the sea? The sea is a symbol of chaos and the place of the dead in the Old Testament. The Lord of Chaos servant rises from the sea. In Revelation 17, he is said to rise from the abyss. These locations are one and the same as illustrated by Exodus 20 in the terminology of the water under the earth. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven and above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. What is the significance of ten horns? Daniel 7.24 says that the ten horns represent ten kings. It does not name them. We just know that there are ten kings. Now, you can go and you can get all these prophecy books and all these prophecy buffs, and they'll try to name the kings. Some people said it was the European Union. I just want to say this on record. It is not profitable to the church to speculate on the identity of these kings. It's not. God said they're coming, they're going to come. We don't know who they are. Only God knows when these who these ten kings are. So let us not waste time in speculation. Instead, focus on knowing that God is faithful and will, not, and will mold us in this life for the next. That's what we need to focus on. Not on who the two kings are. What is the significance of the seven heads? According to Revelation 17, 9 through 10, they are the seven mountains that the great prostitute is seated upon. They are also seven kings. This paired with the fourth beast of Daniel, 7, 15 through 28, points to the kingdom of Rome. Now, which Rome depends on the lens you're wearing, futurist, preterist, idealist, and so forth? So what is the significance of the ten diadems on its horns? Diadems is a transliteration of the Greek word for a king's crown, a crown of ruling, a crown of power. It is in contrast to a victor's crown known as a stephanos in the Greek. He has power, power to rule, power to reign for the time that God has allotted 
So what's the significance of these blasphemous names on its heads? These kings are totally opposed to God and his plan and will actively walk against God. But there is good news. There is great news. There is victory in Jesus. That's where the victory is. This is what we need to focus on. The serpent, the beast, the, the false prophet, the antichrist, all of these ends, these, these individuals' ends are the lake of fire. Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war, the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, on the lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and those who are called and chosen, and those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are those with him. You are called. What? Chosen. You are called what? Faithful. That's who you are. That's your identity that he has bestowed upon you. He has chosen you. Revelation 13, 2 says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. John here takes all four beasts of Daniel 7 and makes a chimera of the beast from the sea. The leopard in scripture speaks of swiftness, stealth, and ambush. You can see a back at 1.8, Hosea 13.7, Jeremiah 15, I mean 5.6 for that. The bear in scripture, he speaks of a fierce strength. Unstoppable. You can see those references there. The lion's mouth in scripture speaks of devouring its I think it's interesting in Daniel uh, 6, it talks about Daniel and the lion's den. We all know that passage, right? And Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, no, I'm not dead. The angel of the Lord came and shut the lion's mouth. He stopped them from devouring. But Ezekiel 22, 25 uh, speaks of the lion devouring with his mouth its prey. The beast power comes from Satan, the dragon, that dragon of old, that the beast acts on behalf of him. Church, who has more power? Who has more power, church? Say it with me. Jesus. Jesus has the power. So we may say to our souls, be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he is faithful will remain. Be still my soul and thy best thy heavenly friend. Though thorny ways lead to, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Revelation 13, 3 through 4 says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? 
This is Satan counterfeiting Christ's death and resurrection with his own. The world worships Satan, but we will not fall for the lies of the enemy, for we are aware of his schemes, and we stand in God's armor. We stand in the work of the cross and in the power of the resurrection, and we hold our shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. We believe the truth. We hold the truth that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. For God can beat the beast every day. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. A great song right there on that QR code if you want to scan that, listen to it later. But uh, Michael W. Smith does a great song on being more than conquerors. Revelation 13, 5 through 6 says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. You see, the base beast wages war with his mouth, like Leviathan in Job 41.19, who breathes fire out of his mouth. These fiery wards are against God, against his heavenly host, and against his saints. The concept of blasphemy is more than a failure to believe in God and endorse his programs and ways. It is an active repugnance and open opposition to the creator God, according to Paige Peterson. However, this time to act in direct defiance is what? Limited by God to 42 months. He only has 42 months, three and a half years to, to wreak this kind of habit, to, to bring his plan to fruition. Satan is on God's time. So the futurists all interpret these 42 months as taking place at the last half of Daniel's 70th week. The preterist interprets these 42 months as taking place in the siege of Jerusalem, which started in 66 A.D. and finished in 70 A.D. The idealist interprets these 42 months as, a, as symbolizing the consummation of chaos and the persecution of the church for an undefined amount of time. Who is, whose timetable is Satan on? He's on God's timetable. He's subject to God. And when God will be done with him, he'll be done. Revelation 13, 7 says, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. The word allowed is key to this verse. God allowed him to kill his saints. God allowed him to rule the world, the whole earth, as a judgment on it. It was allowed. This seems wrong. This seems off. Why would God allow something like this happen? But it's off and wrong if we value this life more than the next. However, death is not the end, but a gateway to victory 
the victory of eternal life, the victory in Jesus, our Savior forever, who sought us and bought us with his redeeming blood. Now, Pastor Chris Brooks wrote it, quoted a deal Condigrant of his who was fighting cancer. This man's prayer to God was, Lord, glorify yourself even at my expense. Lord, glorify yourself even at my expense. challenged me and challenged me because I wondered if I could really pray that prayer and mean it. That God's glory is my utmost goal and purpose of my life. Here in these passages, God is allowing the death of his saints for his glory. And all lives should be about his glory. That's what all lives should be about. And I confess, my life often is about me. is my prayer for us all that we know what we have in Christ and want to live and die for his glory. Revelation 13, 8 says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name who has not been written before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. We'll study on the book of life. Listen to 8, 16, 20, 23. I don't have time to go into it today. Who worships the beast? Who worships the beast? Those who are not gods, right? That's who worships the beast. That's what it says. All those who were not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's who worships the beast. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, you are who? You are God's. You belong to him. He has written his name on your forehead. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. Your name has been written down in the book of life. So can you declare this with me? There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home. For there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven. Nevermore to roam. Because God has placed his seal, his Holy Spirit. He's poured him out upon me. And he resides in you and me. And we bear the name of Jesus. Our names are written in the book of life. We are his and he is ours. So if anyone has an ear, let him hear. 
If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is the call for endurance and faith of the saints. John is using verse 9 to call his reader's attention for this phrase closes each of the letters to the seven churches. Pay attention. Listen up. Who has ears here? Right? I don't see any earless people. That means it applies to all of us. So what are we to hear? What is being said to us? We are to hear that there is persecution and trial for the people of God. I know, I know. We as Americans do not like persecution. We do not like trials. We want life to be smooth as gravy. That's our dream. That's our expectation. But I'm here to just tell you, church, it's not realistic. It's a fallacy. And it has not been the reality for the Christians across the globe for all of history. We will always have trial and persecution on this earth. And a time is coming, whether we're raptured or not, that some Christians will be in intense persecution. And so we need to train now in the mundane, the victory of Jesus in the minutia, so that when we come to the trial, we come to the valley of the shadow of death, we can say, I fear no evil, for God is with me, and in him I have victory. And we can respond to the call of endurance and faith. Faith in the purposes and the promises of God makes endurance possible. Endurance, on the other hand, is the sure, visible outworking of the inner faith that provides the impetus for obedience to God even under intractable circumstances. Church, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my sins. Revelation 13, 11 through 12. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised authority, all authority over the fourth beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the fourth beast whose mortal wound was healed. If one beast was not bad enough, there's a second beast who is known as the false prophet. This beast, like behemoth in Job, comes from the earth. It's like the lamb, but it's not the lamb, for the, he speaks the lies of the uh, lies like the father of lies, like the dragon. He speaks like the dragon. Beware of the false prophets, it says in Matthew 7, 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing, for inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He's a false prophet, speaking deceit. Revelation 13 through 14 says, 
It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to the earth in front of people. And by the signs that it allowed to walk in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The false prophet's goal is to deceive the world into worshiping the Antichrist, who is the fourth beast. He does this with signs and wonders. He tells them to make an image of the fourth beast, breaking the second commandment. You shall not have for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below, beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Habakkuk 2.19 says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone. Arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and its silver, and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. So the Old Testament sees idols as lifeless, and, and, and in so many ways that is true, they are with no breath. Here, yeah, however, the false prophet step goes a step further and gives the image breath for speech. He then slays those who will not worship the beast. This, of course, brings us back to Daniel 3, where Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not worship the image and were thrown into the fiery furnace. Church, who met them in the furnace? Jesus met them in the furnace. There's a fourth one in there, one like the Son of a God. It was Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, met them in the furnace in the very fire that they were in, he met them. Church, God will meet you in your trial. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. And what Satan meant for evil, God makes for sung this hymn every day the Lord himself is near me with special mercy for each hour all my cares he fain would bear and cheer me he whose name is counselor and power the protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he lays as thy days thy strength shall be in measure this pledge to me he's made Revelation 13, 16 through 18. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666, 666. Well, study on the mark of the beast. You can listen to Wednesday's study on 10, 11, 20, 23. There's a QR code uh, for that. The false prophet caused the beast followers to be marked. Here he is counterfeiting. Again, he's counterfeiting the mark and seal that Yahweh has placed on his own. 
It's about bearing the name of Jesus or bearing the name of the enemy. And God has chosen who bears his name. If you have the mark of Yahweh, if you bear the name of Yahweh, the seal of the Holy Spirit, you cannot take the mark of God's enemy. It doesn't work that way. For you are God's and not the enemy's. Now, Christians then, followers of Jesus, will not be able to participate in society, the buying and selling of goods. I spent most of the day Friday buying goods. I didn't sell any. Too bad, because I could have maybe compensated for all that I bought. But I did spend most of the day buying goods. In the last half of the tribulation, that, for Christians, will not be happening, for it will be a time of persecution and oppression. But praise God, that is not the totality of the Christian life. May we keep perspective and tell our souls, be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. So church together, whatever our lot, I live for God. Whatever my lot, I live for God's glory, for it is well with my soul. Say that with me. Whatever my lot, I live for God's glory for it is well with my soul. Father God, we thank you that you have a plan and that Satan is subject to that plan and that everything that the enemy means for evil, everything that he takes and tries to twist and, and turn, you bring for your glory and for our good in eternity. We praise you and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith to answer the call of endurance and faith. And we thank you that you have. Because the work that you begin in us, you will be faithful to complete it. We thank you that we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.